I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadundi and Bububun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Noongar also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 76 or number one of season six. And uh, in this episode, again, we're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. I have the pleasure of chatting with Melanie Curtin. Melanie is a sex researcher, coach, and host of her own podcast called Dear Men, How to Rock Sex, Dating, and Relationships with Women. She has a master's in communication from Stanford University, is a columnist at Inc. Magazine, and has been published or seen on Today, Huffington Post, Forbes, Business Insider, The New York Observer, and more. Melanie has been coaching men for over six years and specializes in bringing a women's perspective to men so they can connect and succeed with women in fun, inviting, and meaningful ways that lead to fulfilling sex and relationships. And you can find Melanie on Instagram at Melanie B. Curtin or on her website, which is MelanieCurtin.com. And in this particular episode, the two of us, we talk about ways in which men are currently approaching sex, maybe what they're doing wrong, and how a lot of women are responding to this. Uh, Melanie shares a lot about her research and the data that she's collected with regards to uh, the women that she surveyed. And we also discuss the importance of men learning about their partner's body, being curious and understanding uh, women's bodies a little bit more, as well as exploring ways uh, to communicate, you know, some strategies for communication around sex and pleasure and how to initiate those with your partner and how to foster that deeper connection with them. So if you're I mean, there's a lot of gold in this, but if you're a man in particular that has sex with women, then this is going to be an episode that you do not want to miss. I had a really enjoyable conversation with Melanie, so I hope that you enjoy listening. Today, I'm going to be discussing an activity that some of you might find embarrassing. However, I assure you, there is nothing to be ashamed of. doesn't seem to me that you have to go straight intercourse, or that you have to go all the way at all. You can't have sex in a good relationship without both partners being involved in contraception. All right. Um, well, my first question, it's actually not a question. I always say that it is, but it's not. It's a invitation, and it's uh, an invitation um, I'd love to invite you to, to share a little bit about your work, maybe your research, and... Uh, I'd also love you to share uh, what you're passionate about as well. That's something I've been getting into lately is vibing on people's passions. So that's my invitation to you. Uh, I'd love to give you the floor for a few minutes. Yeah. So I would say that I sort of got my start in the world of sexuality, helping survivors of sexual abuse on the East Coast of the U.S. So I was working mostly with the Hasidic Jewish population, a lot of abuse within um, the rabbis and students, but also within family systems. So a lot of cousins, brothers, sisters, incest, uh, just a lot of sexual abuse and a lot of boys 
being sexually abused as well as girls. And, um, I, I dove into that subject. I'm not a survivor of sexual abuse myself. My very good friend was a survivor and we teamed up to do a startup nonprofit to help these survivors of sexual abuse. So I learned a lot about sexuality and pathology and that was kind of my background. And I listened really closely to survivors that were on their healing journey and paid really close attention to what they talked about working and helping them. Um, so probably your listeners are familiar with post-traumatic stress. Most, if not all survivors of sexual abuse have post-traumatic stress and to varying degrees. And so I was very interested in healing modalities around post-traumatic stress because I wanted my people to feel better. I wanted them to be able to hold down a job, not have nightmares anymore, be able to get into relationships, have orgasms. I worked with people that were anorgasmic. They couldn't have orgasms, everything like that. So I, I did a lot of research into different healing modalities and eventually kind of moved into the awareness and understanding that if we don't establish a healthy sexual culture, we will always have abuse. And I sort of shifted over to that side of helping people have healthy sex lives and thriving dating and relationship lives. So I started coaching and have been doing that for probably eight to 10 years now, which makes me feel old, but that's okay. We'll just gloss over that. Um, but yeah, I, I work primarily with men and primarily with men who have sex with women, also known as hetero or straight men, although I do work with clients all over the map. And I'm passionate about um, teaching sex and relationships. I'm passionate about, I'm reading a lot about programs uh, in the U.S. and other places that are teaching young people, meaning teenagers or young adults, so college age or or high school, some middle school, um, about sexuality and relationships. And I, I'm, I'm quite passionate about that. And I really feel like if we give people more of a chance of learning how to talk about boundaries, we're going to see less sexual assault. And if we have people understand their bodies and their own um, pleasure systems, we're going to have more just joy in relationships and, and more smooth, harmonious relationships rather than the jagged relationships that we see now. And I would just say that paired with that, I'm passionate about trauma healing because of course all of that is connected beautiful thank you so much for sharing and i um i really resonate with what you had to say with regards to like changing things at a societal or at a cultural level um and that being really important for ending abuse i suppose and, and sexual trauma uh and i you know i i have this idea and i i don't know this is just an opinion i suppose just an idea uh that like working at the micro, like microcosmic level, working within you know, the level of the the self and, and even like the level of the relationship with just like one other person in that little microcosmic level can really start to affect things in a macro cosmic level because you, once you, things in you change, you then change the way you interact with the people that are around you. And that then influences those people's relationships, which then influences that like local community, which then influences that kind of that larger group, that larger kind of township or society, which then influences things that are at a macrocosmic level. And 
Um, and that, so that's that's the kind of the way that I work. I, I don't tend to, to like big group um, or big um, you know, large gatherings, I suppose. Um, I did try that. I tried doing these big events. Um, wasn't a big fan of them, unfortunately. They, they took a lot out of me personally. Um, so I do love the one-on-one coaching and I do see the the knock-on effect, I'll say, the kind of domino effect that it has um, with that person and the other people in their lives. And um, and so I, I, I think, you know, the, the modality of sex coaching are definitely at a, at a one-on-one level is so necessary in that regard for kind of creating that cultural change um but i also value the work that people are doing at those like big public um spaces as well because yeah i mean half the half the work that i do is trying to get my name out there so that people know that sex coaching is an actual thing that they can do because <laughs> half the time people are like you're a what sorry is that even a job can you how do you even do that so um so i, I appreciate the people that are like really pushing at a public level like hey this is a modality that you can access and that is really healing for people so um yeah that's really really cool and, and like i said i really resonate with that um and I'm, I'm wondering what made you decide to work kind of primarily with uh let's say cishet men that's a great question. I I feel like there was a lot of need. I, I feel like there's a lot of need for um, sex positive women that can hold a safe space for men who have sex with women because there's a lot of confusion and shaming and trauma that gets in the way of that space being held. And so I think I just noticed with my guy friends, I would say at first of how much it helped them to be able to talk about sex with, with a woman who was excited for them (laughs) and and wanted to know more and was sort of holding that, um, yeah, sex positive space that your desires are okay. And, you know, anything goes, I'm sort of the person that people tell, right. (laughs) I'm the person people tell whether that's sexual trauma or it's, I have this kink or I've never told anyone this, but, and I think that, that eventually it becomes like, you can tell me anything. I've heard a lot of things by now. and there, and I do think there's this sort of vibration that I carry because of that, that makes it safe. So I think it sort of came to me and called to me as a field. Um, and it's interesting. You mentioned the large groups versus one-on-one our flagship program. I co-coach with, um, my um, guy friend of mine that is also a coach and we, our flagship program is a group program. And what I've seen is that that small group of let's say 10 to 12 men is super powerful because men, human beings, all feel isolated most of the time. But I think especially because of the patriarchy, men are shamed out of normal emotions and they're shamed out of so much expression that it can feel scary to share deep truths. But in a small group, it's it's rebuilding that community and that sense of safety and trust with other men. And that is so critical to a healthy relationship that it's one of the things I'm the most proud of is actually our guys relating with each other and having safe men now in their lives as backup and as resources and, and bringing that, you know, the heart back that you're allowed to be a man and have a heart. Cause I think that the, the culture wants to strip a man's humanity away by stripping away his 
his feelings and his access to feelings. And that's connected to the shaming of homosexuality. And it, it's just, it's pretty toxic <laughs> Western culture. And so I think bringing that love back into the space between men is really, really needed and, and strengthens relationships with women. So I think sometimes men think, oh, you know, dating coaching, it's going to all be all about women, but actually a lot of what we do is about relationships with men in your life and strengthening those because you're going to feel held. And when you feel held and you know, you've got your brothers by your side, you show up differently in your life and you show up differently in dating and you, you get better results as it turns out. Yeah. I actually love that so much. Cause, um, yeah, cause that, that feels so true to me in just my own personal life is when I started connecting with the men in my life on a deeper level, maybe on a more vulnerable level, I would say, or you know, was able to just kind of share with them and also have that reciprocated as well, like have them open up and share with me um, and have each other's backs and celebrate our wins and, um, and hold space for our losses and things like that. Then I was... Yeah, like that changed me as a man for the better um, and it, that changed the way that I showed up for the women in my life and, and particularly now for my my partner. I mean, and that's an ongoing thing that I still do. I still attend men's groups and not only do I facilitate, but I also attend some friends' men's groups as well to have space held for me. And that was an interesting journey because the like before that, the mates that I had, the group of male friends that I would hang out with <laughs> were, I would say, very toxic. It was very alcohol oriented. It was very, um, I'll probably go as far to say misogynistic. It was quantity over quality in terms of sexual experiences. Uh, and if I ever, or if anyone in our friend group ever shared some sort of insecurity or expressed any vulnerability, it was judged and belittled and you were made fun of. You were bullied essentially, um, to put it bluntly. And that that is, I feel like very, true for a lot of men right that's their experience is like they get taken the piss out of by their mates if they share anything if they open up at all um and so that fear of being ostracized or that fear of being bullied by your mates um being made fun of prevents a lot of guys from from opening up i feel um it was definitely true for me uh, at least so hopefully that resonates with some some people listening and so yeah finding that group of guys who you can go a little bit deeper with is such an important piece of just like personal growth and development in general, um, but definitely dating and, and relationship um, for sure. Yeah, there's something that happens when you when your body realizes it's not alone, not just your head. You can see, I can see sometimes on our calls, a man's body relax when he shares his his truth or his story, and other men resonate. There's this oh, there's this thing that happens of just letting go of some weight and some tension in the stomach that's just holding on or just waiting to be ridiculed. And instead men respond with love. And there's this, uh, this sense of relief. Like maybe, maybe I'm not a monster. Maybe I'm not, you know, the worst for having made this mistake in my marriage or whatever the man's story is. And other men are like, I've done that. I completely relate that happened to me too. And there's nothing that really replaces that, which is, it's just a real gift in a group to get to that point. And it's interesting in my work because I've been doing it for a while. I've watched men evolve and I have noticed that men that start doing personal growth work 
will often outgrow some friend sets, certain friend groups or just individual friends, but they'll also build much stronger and deeper relationships with other men. So it's almost like if you think of a garden, they're weeding the garden and and intentionally growing other kinds of flowers instead of, well, these are, these are the mates I've had since elementary school. And that's just how it is. It's no becoming more intentional and conscious about who you spend your time around. And that, you know, idiom of you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with is really good to think about when you're looking at who you do spend time around and consciously cultivating that. We talk about that a lot is how you're consciously cultivating your life. Yeah. I love that. And I love that garden analogy of weeding certain plants out and potentially, um, and intentionally, I suppose, growing other plants. I, um, I really resonate with that because that's reflective of my own, my own journey, um, in terms of my relationships with the men in my life. Um, and, and to circle back to something you said before was, um, holding that space as a sex positive woman for, um, for men as well. Cause I, um, I'm not a woman, so I can't hold that space for men, um, obviously. And, uh, I can hold a sex positive space, but not necessarily, um, from the context of being a woman. And, you know, there's this, um, like, you know, I don't know, a lot of straight guys, at least from the way that I've interacted with them and observed, um, and spoken to them, there's like, a, I don't know, like a guard that they often put up when they're talking to women. Um, like there's this, um, they're trying to impress or they're trying to look a certain way. Um, I mean, it's similar with, you know, their male friends as well, but it's, it's slightly different when, um, they're talking to a woman and, and especially like a woman they're attracted to as well. Like there's also that element that comes into play. Um, and so to be able to like hold that non-judgmental space and, um, and yeah, and like kind of be that person that they can talk to about insecurities or um, about or even like celebrating a win, like I had this amazing sexual experience and be able to like share that with someone who um, is like, I don't know, what, what am I trying to say here? Is, is not like invested in it's them romantically, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, right. Has like, can like hold that, like that coaching space to be like, hey, this is like someone who, who I don't need to try and impress. I don't need to... Um, they're not a potential sexual partner, like all that's kind of taken out of the equation. Um, yeah. Isn't like I've had that with, with my supervisor and, and some um, female um, therapists and coaches who I've worked with. And it's an incredible space to, to have because it, it um, yeah, it's, it's not something that a lot of guys get. Yeah. And it's a, a role that I think we're missing in our culture, I think indigenous populations are and were much better about having elders and venerating elders and cultivating wisdom and valuing wisdom and valuing aging and having members that knew you and watched you grow and had intelligent advice for you and were holding a safe space for, even if you weren't family related, related that our culture is totally lacking. We don't have that role for many people anymore at all. And, and then you add, you know, Judeo-Christian, crazy, weird religion. I have a lot of sort of religion refugees in my program that (laughs) from various backgrounds that have been shamed for not just their sexual their sexuality, but their thoughts. If you have this thought, you're a sinner, which is crazy when you think about it. And 
you know, healing from religious trauma, I think is a big part of the reclaiming your humanity process when it comes to sex, because it's a large population of people that are coming back from being shamed on a regular basis from a very young age, which really affects you sort of long-term and is something I come to have a lot more awareness of as I've grown in my profession because it's so ubiquitous. Mm, Would you call that purity culture? Yeah, I guess you could call it that. It's, I mean, I think of it more as shaming culture (laughs) Um, and uh, it doesn't feel supportive at all. It doesn't feel supportive of helping people identify their own desires and their own um, humanity. It's really like, here's this little tiny box you have to fit into. And if you don't, you're a bad person. And even thinking outside of that means you're a bad person. And so it's very confusing growing up with that and then trying to figure out who you are as a sexual being when, say, you're told that masturbation is bad. Humans masturbate. <laughs> so they're taking no- it's they're taking normal behavior and then making it bad. It really is hard to, it's hard to make that work in your psyche and still be, be healthy. Yeah, I feel you. I feel it. And there's like, I'm, I'm, I love how we've started off the conversation in the context that we have, which is about like creating safety, like safety for your body, safety for like, um, your, like your, your mind as well, your thoughts, um, and just feeling like comfortable being able to do that because I get a lot of guys come, you know, to me for, to do work or they reach out to me on Instagram or whatever it is. And they, they want like strategy. They want technique. You know, they, they're like, what, what can I do to last longer? Or what can I do to, you know, have this experience? And they're looking for like a simple, do this breathing exercise, do this squeezing technique or whatever it is. And, and that's all well and good. You can do those things, but like the biggest, or at least I feel the biggest change that you can have in order to like have this sexual experience that you want is like shifting your mindset and shifting that safety and feeling safe in your body to experience pleasure and experience sexuality and express it and to go deep with it. You know, you can do these techniques until the cows come home, but you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. You know, you're still going to have that, that resistance to actually having a, a really, you know, different sexual experience, the one that you might be looking for. So that safety piece for a lot of guys, they don't want to admit it, but they, a lot of guys don't feel safe sexually, right? They, they, they're worried that they're going to come too quickly or they're worried that their partner's not enjoying themselves or they're worried that they're going to cross the a boundary or whatever it might be. There's a lot of fear for guys and being able to like mitigate that fear and feel safe and comfortable and then by extension confident in a sexual encounter by with themselves with a partner is like the major piece. And then all the other techniques and strategies and tools and things that you can do are kind of just adding onto that strong foundational base, at least in my opinion anyway. Yeah. Well, as a sex researcher, I can back you up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. As um, I was just looking at some of my research before this, but one of the questions that I asked was um, what makes a man good in bed? And I asked this of women who have sex with men and that's, so that's any women who have sex with men, however they identify body wise and whether they also have sex with other folks, any women who have sex with men is who I, who I talked to. And um, I think that the perception of what, makes a man good in bed on the outside is not actually what tracks with what women say. So um, like, okay, a lot of men think that 
penis size matters. And they think that, you know, having a six pack matters and all of, you know, the outside kinds of things. And when I actually looked at the data, it was not those things. Um, like 0% of women mentioned a man having a good body, uh, less than 3% mentioned penis size and less than 5% talked about a man staying hard for a long time. <clears throat> but 60% of women, <laughs> I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was over half talked about presence. Your point is really connected to a man being in his body with her in the moment. And I would say the majority of men that I've slept with have not been in their body with me in the moment. So to your point, they're in their head worrying about, <laughs> am I going to be able to stay hard? Or is she having a good time? Or does my cock look okay or whatever? I don't, I mean, you would know better than I, what all of the thoughts are that are running, but I feel missed when that man is in his head. I, I don't feel connected and worshiped and seen. And when a woman feels invisible, she doesn't feel turned on. <laughs> and I think that that combined with some pretty fundamental like gaps in sexual education means that in my research, at least 70% of women said that most men are not good in bed. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Yes. And as a woman who has sex with men, I can absolutely attest to, I believe a lot of men are learning about sex from pornography. And I, I'm a woman who watches porn and I can't tell you the number of scenes where I cringe a little bit. Cause I'm like, ow, ow, like that would hurt. That would hurt. And much of that is I, her body is not ready. That's just not enough time. It's not enough time. There's not enough buildup. And that has been my consistent experience with cishet men that I sleep with is there's just not enough time for me to be physically turned on. And so I'm dry and I'm grinning and bearing it. Right. And, and that was something that I think the research really, really showed was how many women just grin and bear it because we're pretty scared to speak up when it's not working. You know, that was something I asked was, you know, how challenging is it for you to speak up scale of zero to 10? How hard is it to speak up when something's not going well? And the vast majority of women said seven or above 10% of women said 10 it's impossible. <laughs> and then there was a range, but it's really scary because I'm expecting if I say, Oh, i like slow down. That's too hard with your fingers. That's an extremely vulnerable thing for me to say, because I'm afraid he's going to say, Oh, you don't like the way I do it. Well, fuck you then. What are you doing here? Like, or a lot of women are afraid of the man just turning away. He'll just turn away. He'll withdraw. He, he thinks he's not doing it right. So he'll just shut down and go away. And that was actually very backed up in the research. There was a quote that I pulled out about a woman who said, um, he was so emotionally fragile that if I tried to redirect him or tell him what I needed or wanted, he would get hurt and then bring up what I said in public to shame me. Mm. Fuck. And then this other woman said, 
There were times I asked him to go slow, but didn't say it's because it hurts. Somewhere along the way, I did start saying it hurts, but he took it really personally. He said, what's wrong with you? You don't like sex. It ruined our relationship. And um, I think that quote is particularly poignant because when I asked people about their sex problems, there was a very clear distinction between women and men. And for women, their number one sex problem was it hurts. It's painful. And that's not just painful intercourse, right? It's not just vaginismus or women who, ha who have painful intercourse. It's men are too rough with their hands. They're too, they're too hard. They're too rough with their cocks. They're too rough with their, everything is just too much, too fast. And that doesn't turn on a female body. It, it, it actually kind of shocks a female body. And then there were a number of women who talked about, I'm just sort of trying to protect my body in the sexual encounter, which I've had the experience of as well. I'm just sort of trying to protect myself. And that's not um, sexy. It's actually the opposite. And so there's this disconnect between like my body's trying to protect and defend itself, but I'm so terrified of telling you this, that it hurts, what you're doing hurts. I'm so terrified of the emotional withdrawal and you shaming me or attacking me or actually attacking me that I'll tolerate the pain because it's so scary to speak up. Yeah. Thank you so much for speaking into that, especially with research as well, because that's like men need to hear that. You know what I mean? Like that's um, like I can, and I can say that to guys, like as a, as a man, I can be like, Hey, guys, here's what women are thinking. Here's, you know, some quotes, but for that to come from a woman who has sex with men, I think lands like so much more potently. Um, and if I reflect on like my work, the, um, maybe this is like um, to help add nuance to, to this conversation is like one of, one of the reasons why I think a lot of men are rough when it comes to, to, um, sex and and rough not in a intentionally like you know um rough way but just rough because that's just what they're doing is um yes porn but also because of the way that men masturbate as well the from from you know, i speak i speak to a lot of men about the way they masturbate and you know the commonality is going straight to their genitals straight to their cock and it's very friction based it's very vigorous I would always go on to say that it's furious as well. They furiously masturbate. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a chimpanzee masturbate, but it's exactly like that. A lot of guys are just like very rough with themselves. Uh, and they, they um, you know, have this expectation that they should get an erection straight away. And that now that they've got an erection, they need to stimulate it as, as you know, as friction-based as possible. Um, and it's and it's quite rough, you know, the way that the guys are, are masturbating. Uh and then they take that coupled with the what they're seeing in porn, um, you know, the the rough sex in porn, um, and going, oh, this is what is enjoyable, right? And and so I'm going to project that then onto my partner and go straight for her genitals, uh, go straight for uh, insertion or penetration or you know stimulation just in general, like whatever stimulation that kind of looks like, uh, and it's going to be friction based and it's going to be vigorous and again possibly even furious. Uh, and, and because that's what they've, that's what they've taught themselves and that's what they've conditioned themselves to experience. So one of the things that I tell men to do and what I coach them through is changing the way that they touch them, 
them their own body themselves the way that they masturbate um and i i shift away from masturbation because it has a lot of baggage and a lot of connotations and teach them about self-pleasure and you know self-pleasure doesn't even have to include genital stimulation at all you don't even have to touch your cock in order to to experience pleasure uh and and slowing down just in terms of their own experience of of um pleasure is how they then learn i suppose how to do that with a partner um that's at least my um the the kind of step-by-step process that i get them to do is like slow down their own experience and then take that slowed down experience to their their partner and a, a golden rule of thumb that i um share with them is um was actually two um and the first is like that the golden rule doesn't apply to sex treat others the way you want to be treated doesn't apply to sex right don't don't touch your partner the way that you like to be touched because that's probably not what they're going to enjoy just because you enjoy it doesn't mean your partner is that's the first thing is disregard the golden rule and replace it with another golden rule which is um you know uh, this is for heterosexual couples i suppose but you know as as men very generally very kind of stereotypically here we start at our genitals and oftentimes we stay there um but we start at our genitals that's kind of where everything gets going and then we kind of we we move out from there um and so if you're a woman touching a man then i often suggest start at his cock and work your way out to incorporate the rest of his body but if you're a man touching a woman something that i suggest is working your way from the outside towards her genitals towards her vulva towards the vagina and and taking your time doing that as well don't just go oh yeah i started at her face and two seconds later now i'm down at you know um, her genitals similarly with a with um a woman touching a man if, if you're t- you know starting at his cock don't just all of a sudden leave his cock and go touch his face um because you know what will happen and typically you know this is happens when i speak to couples is you know men touch women the way that men like to be touched and women touch men the way women like to be touched and so what happens is we get guys going straight for women's genitals and having the experience that you've um so beautifully shared which is it's too much and it's too rough and it, you know it's not um slowed down enough i'm not ready and we get women touching men the way that women like to be touched which is you know from the periphery and not focusing straight immediately on the genitals and men going what the fuck are you doing my cock's right here and getting impatient and um and so that learning of okay we do condition ourselves differently we do experience pleasure a little bit differently based on the way that we've masturbated or the sex that we've had um is really like that's just a general rule of thumb that i share is like touch your partner the way that they want to be touched not the way that you want to be touched and um and then hopefully that leads to some sort of communication and you can start to talk about things um but in terms of a general rule that's what i like to share yeah i think that's pretty brilliant i think it's also worth noting there's a number of different studies on physiological studies on turn on and arousal. And one of them that I read was that men come to full physiological arousal can come to full physiological arousal in about seven minutes. And women come to full physiological arousal, not 14 minutes, which would be double, not 21 minutes, which would be triple, but 45 minutes. 45 minutes, which is over five times as long. And some studies say 25 minutes for women, but it's always three X or more. So it's way more than men. And I think that sometimes when men hear that, they think, what am I supposed to do for that long? Like, I don't understand how that works. 
in terms of what are we doing for that long? And that was something that really emerged in the research when I asked about the men who were the best in bed, which is um, he texted me during the day about what he wanted to do to me later. He um, played footsie with me at the restaurant. He, it was so much about before the encounter. And I've worked with married couples where I think that the truth is a lot of times men just get complacent and people get complacent, but they, they only think about sex as the 20 minutes we spend between the sheets that like, that's when that's sex. And what I kind of came to, and I thought of it that way as well, but looking at the research, it was extended to all of the time before. And women kept saying, basically the men that were the best in bed knew how to put attention on them and put attention on them before the actual encounter in the bedroom. And sort of to your point about, you know, how to touch a woman, I'm always surprised at how quickly, yeah, it's like a, we're kissing for a few, few minutes, maybe tops, if I'm lucky, we're kissing for a few minutes. And then he's sticking his hand down my pants under my underwear and trying to penetrate me, like digitally penetrate me. And that is not how even I masturbate. I don't, I don't go under my underwear. I can have an orgasm through my underwear, like touch her outside her clothes, grab her butt, like pull her in, slow down and do things over the clothes because you're building anticipation. And if you think about those 45 minutes and we're talking about 45 minutes, that's a woman at full physiological arousal. That's all systems go. All the blood is down there. Everything's happening. She can have pleasurable sex within 20 minutes. It doesn't mean it always has to be 45 minutes. But I think when you think of, for example, the club, duck club, we call it duck club on my podcast. When you go to duck club, part of the reason that it's pleasurable is you're dancing for a while. You're dancing, you're grinding, you're interacting. She's getting turned on during, like, that's a great example of that's foreplay. Foreplay isn't just I'm digitally penetrating her or I'm going down on her. It's, it's the grinding. It's the kissing. It's the, it's the just literally just being together in, in a sexual way. That's not you penetrating her is building up her arousal. If you're being gentle with your fingers, if you're being gentle with your mouth, if you're not, if it's not too much pressure, too, too rough. And based on the research, I would say the more gentle, the better, just so much less pressure, so much less pressure than you think. I remember I was um, doing a meditation practice, orgasmic meditation, and <laughs> this is a partnered practice where the man or whoever, it, it could be a man or a woman, but it was always a woman that was receiving and it was stroking her genitals for 15, 15 minutes, solid practice. And I remember that there was um, women changed over the course of their cycle, right? There were, our bodies are far more sensitive at certain points of our cycle than others. And I remember there was this one day when I felt really, really sensitive and there was only one person I would, I would do this practice with because I knew, I knew he would be gentle enough. Everyone else, I was like, I know I'm going to get hurt. I just know that this is going to hurt and I'm not willing to hurt myself tonight. Just not fucking doing it. So I got him to come over and, um, they, we used this really thick, uh, lube. It was quite viscous. And I said, don't even touch me. Just touch the lube that's on me. And that was completely enough. Like that was totally enough stimulation. I think that's a great example of 
I'm not the only woman that that's that's that sensitive. Many of us with vulvas, people, you know, human beings that are having this experience with a vulva are having way too much stimulation down there, mostly by by men. Just think about that. Like that was enough to get me off. Like your hand lightly over her panties is going to make her hot. The key is lightly, very, very lightly for like a while. Like when she's leaning into you, when she's like, "Mm," you can tell she wants more. That's when to give her more instead of the the porn videos, which are, like I said, kissing for about 30 seconds. And then his hand is like down her pants in, in her vagina. And I'm like, whoa, ow. Like I'm like, ow, that would hurt. Like I feel, I skip that part. Cause I'm like, ah, I'm my body cringes and it doesn't feel like it's, it's going to be pleasurable. It's just going to be, yeah, painful. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for getting just more practical about it because that that's what I, I love. I love practical advice. And, you know, you mentioned something before with regards to, you know, it's always three times as longer, you know, the, um, to come to full, complete physical arousal. And, and, and when guys hear that, you know, the, the response is often, what do I fucking do for that long? Like, what, what does that even look like? And something that I think is really important to like challenge guys on, which I do on, on a regular basis is like, how do you define sex? And a lot of guys, you know, you said, you know, um, you know, they think of that 20 minutes that you're that you're in the sheets and i would go so far as to say i think guys only think about the five to six minutes that they're actually inside of their partner you know with their with their cock that they're actually penetrating it and so a lot of guys when they hear 45 minutes they're thinking straight away oh we've got to be penetrative for 45 minutes and that's not what we're saying right now so i want to be like super clear with a lot of guys that because i i've no i've i've guys have said that to me like oh does that mean i've got to be pumping and thrusting away for an hour and it's like no man that's not that is exactly the opposite of what i'm saying right now um and uh and so like like broadening your definition of sex is really important for for this right that the the sexy messages throughout the day the footsie at dinner the the um massage that you that you give her in the afternoon or whatever it is like all of that is sex right that's that's part of this big umbrella term of sex and and then um yeah like even going to the club and and dancing that can like you said be part of that foreplay can be part of that sexual encounter um it doesn't have to be you inside of her for 45 minutes that's just not the reality um of of like good sex like oftentimes penetrative sex pumping and thrusting away like a machine is actually not very enjoyable right it's it's how you masturbate and if if, you know this sounds so crude but like i feel like a lot of guys are masturbating inside of their partners 
they're 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 penetrating their partner the way that they use their hand to masturbate and so um yes yeah, so that one of the reasons why i get them to really diversify the way that they touch themselves is because then when they're with their partner they're not just focusing on penetration like a piston in a machine um you know trying to trying to ejaculate inside of their partner essentially so um and i i, I teach them about the, this thing called the art of thrusting again which is a little bit of sex education involved in like where a lot of the nerve endings are in the vagina in the first third um you know then not being so rough against the cervix if you're being you know deeply penetrative or you know incorporating the the labia and and other parts of the vulva so just like having some basic like anatomy lessons as well is such an important thing for for men because they're you know they're the mentality and guys have said this is like why i just want to like fuck her as deep and as hard as possible and it's like that's great man and that can be pleasurable i'm sure but all the time is not you know it, that's not conducive to you know a, a healthy sex life i suppose when that's your but your one go-to it's like eating a meal one meal for the rest of your life it's not it's not uh you're gonna get bored of that meal pretty quickly yes and if her body isn't ready it will hurt. So that, you know, the warming up, it's like building a fire. It, it, it takes the tinder and the kindling and then the large logs. And if you don't do that, the fire isn't hot. And that's a lot of how feminine turn on works is it builds, it builds and it takes a little bit of time. And so if you rush right to the logs, the fire is not lit and she's not, it's not going to be pleasurable. So when she's turned on and there's way more blood in the region, she's going to want more pressure. But at the beginning, it needs to be really slow and light and gentle. That's the kindling, slow, light, gentle, teasing, you know, slow, light, gentle. It's like anything that you're slow, light and gentle to start. That's your kindling. That's what turns her on. And if you're in a relationship, it can be, hey, let's dance. Let's put on a slow song and dance like we're in middle school trace your fingers really lightly down her back, you know, up the back of her legs. That is going to, that's kindling. It's, it's helping her body relax. It's helping her body get used to being with your body. Even if you've been together for a long time, it's, it's ramping up to whatever's going to happen next instead of, Oh, we're just there, which registers as, as shock. And that's not, not a turn on. The other thing that I tell men, especially if it's a newer encounter or even if it's a partner you've been with for a long time, because the research shows that the number one sex problem for women is pain, and so many women are having pain, um, I really, I just tell men, you know, tell your woman, I always want to know if something's not working. I always want to know if something hurts. Be proactive about it since you know that it's possible. And then if she ever tells you anything, say thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And you can say, thank you. It's a little hard to hear that. And I appreciate that you told me. It doesn't have to not sting, right? Like no one wants to give their partner pain. No, I, no normal person, you know, we're not talking about, I'm not talking about BDSM and scenes where you're consenting, but in regular, quote unquote, regular sexual encounters, men don't want to be hurting women. I know that. I know that they're not, they want her to be having pleasure. They want her to be experiencing the best sex of her life. And if you look at what's actually happening in the research, that's often not what's happening. So if you tell her proactively, I'd love to know if anything doesn't work. I want this to feel good for you. You're making it safe for her to tell you something. Now, 
even if you say that, she's probably not going to tell you. So it's important to know how terrified women are of telling you the truth when it comes to sex, because it's bad. It's we're very scared. There's a lot of fear. So it might take a while, but at least you've laid the groundwork, something you've, you've put it in the space. I, I do want to know, then maybe you're going to get, oh, maybe a little less pressure. Maybe a little less pressure often means, ow. <laughs> but we're too scared to say, ow. So I know I've been with men, you know, one of my old boyfriends, this is a great example. He was too rough with his hands. I didn't say anything at first because I was scared. After a while I said, Ooh, I, you know, I would love like less pressure with your hands because if it's too much, it numbs, it numbs out my clit and I can't feel anything. He adjusted for about two minutes and then went back to the way he'd been doing it. This was very discouraging for me. Then the next sexual encounter, when he was doing it too hard, I said, oh, lighter, lighter, lighter. And he did the same thing. He adjusted for about two minutes. And then he went back to the way he'd always done it, right? Because he at, he was 32 at the time or however old he was. He'd been having sex since he was 16. This is the way he, I, I have a feeling, this is the way he'd been doing it. So the readjustment takes a lot of energy, but the effect on me was that I gave up. I just gave up. And that showed up in the research again and again and again. It was, I tried to talk to him a few times and then I gave up. And it was really discouraging because it was the kind of thing where after a while, I said to myself, this is not the sex that I want to be having for the rest of my life. And that was one of the main reasons that I left him. And I believe that this is the secret relationship killer, because I asked this question in my research and was surprised by the results. I said, have you ever left someone because of the sex? And I believe that we think of sex as more important to men than women. But when I looked at the numbers, 49% of men said, yes, I've left a relationship because of the sex, including marriages. And I thought, oh, okay, 49%. Yeah. So the women's number will be like 26% or 30% or something like that. And it turned out to be 61%. And there was an other number that, you know, in the chart when you can do other and fill in. And that was just filled with women saying, I've never done it before, but I'm thinking about it right now. And I think this was a survey of 2000 people or something like that. It was good, pretty good size. And so if you look at that real number, it's probably more like 64%, which surprised me because I thought, oh, sex is more important to men than women kind of even in, as someone in the field, I'm still subject to all of my cultural bias and bullshit. And what I realized was I'm in that number. It wasn't the only reason, but it was definitely a reason. It was, I, remember, I remember the thought, this isn't the sex I want to have for the rest of my life. And I think that's something that is, can be such a gift of, on the part of men who have sex with women. You, you can be such a gift to women. You can be such gentle leaders when it comes to sex and, and if when you lead i can relax because me when i bring it up i'm scared i i'm not telling you forcefully enough right i'm not saying and this is backed up by the research i'm not saying ow that really hurts i need you to change i'm saying ooh maybe a little lighter right so you don't understand this is a level 10 bad this is this bad you're like oh sure a little lighter <laughs> like it's not getting through but if you lead and you say, I always want to know, I always want to know what's working. I always want to know what's not working. I, I always want to know. And you 
repeat it, right? You're making it safe every time. And if she ever speaks up, you say, thank you. Now she's actually going to tell you and you're going to learn her body because that man didn't know my body. And I was tired of being hurt. I was tired of, I was, I want, I want a partner whose hands feel good. <laughs> I want a partner whose mouth feels good. I want a partner where it all feels good. Like, I don't want to have to compromise and say, because I think that I've been in many relationships where the intercourse was good because I managed it, meaning I brought lube because I knew I wouldn't be wet by the time he was penetrating me or, or whatever. I've skipped the other stuff because he was bad at it. And I don't want that for my long-term partner. I've tolerated it in the past. And I think a lot of women do, but really I want it to be good. I want it to feel good. And I want to be turned on more of the time than not when we're having sex. If you look at the research, that's not the case. Most women are not turned on by the time sex is happening. And that's sort of reflected in, you know, a lot of what we see of the, the quote unquote pathologies of like women that are dry or women, low libido. I hear that a lot. And I think to myself sometimes, is her libido low or is the sex not good for her? Is she not getting what she needs to be turned on? And has that been happening for 10 years in this, in these people's marriage? I think, I mean, I'd be curious to hear from you and your work. Have you found that at all, that that's part of what's going on when couples come and they're like, oh, she just doesn't want sex anymore. Yeah, I am. Um, Do you ever see that? Yeah, I, I have seen it. And, um, you know, I also, um, I also see it with, with um, like a, the reverse. I see with guys who are, um, they think they have low libido when really they, they've just got normal fluctuations in their sex drive but we've kind of conditioned ourselves as a society for men to just always want to have sex. And so if a guy doesn't always want to have sex, then he feels like something's wrong with him. Um, he feels like there's a sex drive issue. So, um, so I, I often see it on the reverse because I work predominantly with, with men as well um, and not so much with couples. But um, something that you, you mentioned before and I wanted to like really – um, thank you for it because it's not something that I um, encourage my clients to do enough is to say thank you to um, to their partner for sharing. I talk a lot about sexual leadership with the guys that I work with and you know I, I explain to them that it's not leadership from a kind of hierarchical um, structure. It's like horizontal leadership. It's leadership from a place of like leading by example essentially and that example that you're setting is vulnerability like it's leading from a place of vulnerability and it's leading from a place of compassion and from from deep caring for this person that you're being sexual with and part of that you know, kind of there's a lot to this but I, I explained to them it's like creating that safe space or creating that container is the word that i use for for that encounter that you're having with this this person with this woman and um and you know, I, I encourage you guys, I'm like, ask them, ask your partner what they're into. Ask them, you know, if they're, they're enjoying something, you know, create a space for that conversation and dialogue to, to, to happen. And, um, and what I'm going to add in there now is say thank you to your partner when they share something with you. Cause um, I think that is such a powerful thing to do to reinforce the safety of that container, to reinforce the, the, this is okay. It's a non judgmental space i'm not going to shame you for for sharing something so i really like that addition so i'm going to i'm going to use that um thank you very much yeah i'm glad i think it's really important to recognize particularly how vulnerable it is to share what isn't working so what is working tends to be relatively safe although the research also showed that 
I think that we sometimes think we're past slut shaming and we're not. And so a lot of women, there was a woman who said, um, it's hard for me to tell a partner what I want because I'm afraid he's going to think I'm a trashy whore, but I can tell a one night stand. So I think also creating that safe space for, it's basically issuing an invitation that you as the man are standing in invitation. I always want to know. I always want to know. And issuing the invitation more than once. I talked to a lot of men who will say, oh, well, have you talked to your wife about, about sex or about what she likes? And he'll say, yeah, yeah, I've talked to her, but it's really, what do you want? He'll ask her once, maybe twice, what do you want? And for a lot of women, they don't know yet, or they, they're not able to articulate exactly what they want in that moment. And it feels stressful, right? So one of the things I teach in my courses about how to ask winning questions, which are, how's this pressure instead of, is that good? Which I think is a tendency we all have. Of, is that good? Is that, is, is this working? And that, again, there's a pressure for her to say yes. She wants to say yes to you. She wants to, she's been trained her whole life to say yes. She's terrified that you're going to turn away from her if she quote unquote criticizes you, especially sexually. She's scared that if she says anything negative, you're going to shut down and say, okay, fine. If you don't like the way I do it, then I just won't do it. She's terrified of that. She really is. So making it safe and asking winning questions that gives you information, again, also because a woman's body changes over the course of her cycle. So even if this is a regular partner, what worked last week might not work this week and she might not tell you. So if you, the more you're issuing that invitation and really reinforcing, like, thank you for telling me. I didn't know that, right? And I think it's especially challenging for partners that have been together for a while because there's a, I can't believe how long <laughs> I've been doing it this way and it hasn't been, I didn't know it hadn't been working. I didn't know I was too rough. I didn't know I was causing you pain is a really hard experience. And it's, remember in that circumstance, it was incredibly brave of her to tell you at all because she was scared most people are scared to say the truth. So you issuing the invitation makes it 10 times more likely she'll actually share with you. And usually you really want to pay attention to, you know, oh, maybe lighter probably means ow. <laughs> and sort of really taking it seriously. I guess that's what I'm saying is really take it seriously. If, if someone with a female body is giving you feedback about pressure or anything like that, because it's, it's easy to hurt female bodies. They're, it's pretty sensitive down there when we're not turned on yet. Once there's a lot of blood flow, it's a different story. But This kind of circles right back into the beginning of our conversation, which is um, you know, feeling like in touch with your emotions and feeling like you're okay and that you, you have some, like you know, one of the, one of the um, quotes I think you, you shared from a woman in your survey was, oh, my partner was too emotionally fragile. And, you know, a lot of guys, they fucking up. They're, you know, they're emotionally fragile. And especially when it comes to feedback sexually, they take it too personally. Um, they, it, it's a bruise to their ego. A lot of men's egos are wrapped up in their sexual prowess, in their sexual performance. And, um, and so any feedback is, is like, oh, I've like the, the, the fear that women have to share is like, oh, well, fuck you then. Like, I'm not going to touch you or, you know, uh, like, all right, then I'll just not touch you again or whatever it is, right? There's this like, per, like they men take shit personally. Um, 
even though there's this like narrative that men aren't emotional and that you know it's like well, men are actually very emotional we're, we're human beings all human beings are emotional um it's just that you know we've been trying to condition ourselves not to feel emotions and whenever emotions do arise we don't know how to fucking deal with it uh so that's uh so that, that comes full circle back to the beginning of our conversation it's like can you do some work to help you feel safe experiencing emotions um you know processing them do you know how to handle when you're feeling hurt so that you don't have that reaction when if you know when there is feedback given to you um that you've been hurting your partner for the last five ten years you know um because you're right that's a that's a hard it's hard on both ends it's hard to say that it's hard to hear that um but and if you haven't got the regulation the emotional regulation tools to be able to like go well that was heavy like i'm sorry or thank you for saying like let's let's what can we do how can we move through this and you just kind of shut down then you're back to square one you 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 know you're you're causing more harm than good so um yeah i love how we've kind of come full circle yeah that's exactly right because the the women's fears are well-founded they're not fears out of nowhere. They're real fears. If I say this, if I speak up about the truth, he'll shut down and turn away from me. And I want the connection. <laughs> I like, I like this man. If a woman's in bed with you, it's because she likes you and she wants you to like her. So she's pretty scared to tell you the truth when it comes to her body parts, because she doesn't want you to stop liking her or seem difficult, quote unquote, seem difficult. A lot of women in my research talk about feeling broken because they can't orgasm on demand or because they can't orgasm from penetration, which you and I both know is, you know, over 70% of women can't orgasm from penetration. That's a shitload of women. So if a woman feels broken, that word, by the way, doesn't come up in the research for men. Very rare that a man talks about feeling broken, but a lot of women talk about feeling broken. And some of them are like, it just takes me too long to orgasm. But that's normal. That's like normal women take a while to orgasm. So again, they're watching porn or whatever it is. And they think they need to be super expressive and verbal. And, you know, yes, some women are, and some are still growing in their sexual journey. And that's not where they are right now. And they feel like they should be. And so then they're trying really hard and it's just, kind of a mess. And again, I feel like there's something so sweet and, um, can be such a gift to women as men to, to lead in this area because it is so scary for us. It can be such a, yeah, such an act of generosity for, for your partner, especially as I said, of, I always want to know if it's not working, even if it stings a little bit, you know, I can take it. And to your point, you kind of got to back that up right? If you say that and then you shame her or pull away or withdraw, that's real bad. You really don't want to do that. So if you need that language, it's thank you for telling me. I'm, I'm, I feel a little sad. I feel sad hearing that. I feel a little deflated hearing that. And I'm really glad you told me. You can have those together. They don't have to be separate. It can still work even if you're feeling hurt, even if you're feeling shut down. It's not that you you know, we're telling you to not feel shut down. It's okay. Just share with her. Thank you for telling me that. I re- I need to know. <laughs> and it stings a little. So I'm just sitting with that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing the research, sharing the research as well. Um, I'm definitely going to be uh, hitting up after this podcast for some more information uh, about how I can uh, access that research. Um, 
is there uh, man we covered a lot of ground and i know there's there's so much more i'd love to keep on chatting um i'm just mindful of time is there a i mean there was a few nuggets of wisdom in there but is there something that you would encourage men to do to to kind of start that whole process you know we talked about kind of going on a bit of a journey um learning how to process emotions having better sex where do men start like what's what's the first step they can kind of take to to begin that whole process yeah, that's a great question. This is going to sound a little weird, but one thing I do recommend is read romance novels. Read new romance novels because a, what what I would love cis het men to do is learn about sex from hetero women. Learn about learn about sex from women who have sex with men. And if you if you read some romance novels, you'll get a sense of what turns women on. And it's not perfect. It's not all the time, but you can, you can feel his attention on me turns me on his gaze on me turns me on. And then you can read the sex scenes and you'll notice, you'll notice that they feel different from porn. And you'll notice that they do the things I'm talking about of the un, the unlacing of the top, the it's slower, it's slower. There's more sensuality. It's, it's, it's how women want sex to be. So I think a place to start to get into the mindset is to read romance. And, and then in terms of actual sexual healing, I always recommend somatic therapy. I think a lot of men are survivors of sexual trauma themselves, whether they have memories of it or not. Um, so anything to get into your body, be with your body, somatic therapy. I mean, I recommend it to most of my clients because so many people are survivors of trauma it's ridiculous yeah i 100 agree with both of those pieces of advice i think a game changer for me in terms of reading books and like learning was i read um this is years ago now i read nancy friday's secret garden which was amazing and it blew my mind and i was like oh my god this is yeah it was just a game changer for me um and then um yeah somatic therapy like i've shared this before like i've i've had a little bit of sexual trauma myself and uh processing that at a physical level was um yeah like it, it was like li- again life-changing it was it was um absolutely incredible and and one and it's still something i'm doing i, I still go and see body workers and and try and do st- something physically for my body on a regular basis um to help process what's coming up because things like think like even even though you process one trauma or you know, it might not even be trauma. You just process something in your body. We're humans. We get triggered by other shit. You, that you're gonna have to process that at a later point as well. So having an ongoing like somatic um, therapy is is yeah fantastic as well. Highly recommend. I get somatic therapy once a week. Amazing. Ongoing. Yeah, and it's I will never not get it. And I like that you mentioned that um, because I I, do, I would like to normalize. <laughs> sexual abuse or whatever term, you know, unwanted sexual touch is sometimes something I'll say because some people identify it as abuse exactly, but it's like, ooh, that felt icky somehow. Yeah, that, just that resonates for it. me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, unwanted sexual touch. I want to normalize it because it's millions of us. I mean, it's millions of us. So it's not this thing over here that's separate. It's like a lot of people have had that experience. So it's completely normal if you've had that. It's a part of your background. It does need to get addressed. It will help you have a better sex and love life when you address it. And it's normal. You're not a freak because of it. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. It's another 
experience many human beings have, and it is completely possible to have a thriving sex life on the other side. I, I think that was one of my big takeaways from working with with survivors that were that had addressed their trauma, is that they're now in thriving, healthy, sexually vibrant relationships, and that was something I think that they thought they would never have, even just a few years ago. So hope <laughs> <laughs> amazing well thank you so much uh melanie for for yeah just doing this work and and being so open and vocal about it i really appreciate it and um yeah spending a bit of time i know it's late over there so thank you so much for for staying up and having a chat with me yeah it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> thank you Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.